Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. The aim of the game here is to try and understand what is happening in the world from a Christian perspective, to see what light the Bible can shed on these troubled times that we're going through. We've been focusing a lot on the lockdowns, but also on lots of other issues which are affecting society at the moment. I do hope that you enjoy it. Don't forget to subscribe if you like it. And you can also sign up on Telegram, t.me forward slash philsaker, and the link will be in the show notes, where there will also be links to the articles and things mentioned in the podcast, anything that's relevant. Now, on with the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to Sacred Musings with me, Phil Saker. It's the 9th of December 2021, this is episode 15 of the podcast, and today we are thinking about whether secularism created the Covid cult, and we're going to think about that in a bit. But what a day it was yesterday. I mean, the the introduction of the new restrictions, you know, it's beginning to look a lot like Plan B um, and, um, you know, all of that. And yet finding out that last year, December, November, December last year, there were at least five breaches of the restrictions um, which which have been discovered. And, you know, finding out that the carried Carrie Johnson had a part in her flat sort of thing and um, that Gavin Williamson, I think, of all of these these different parties and, and gatherings that were going on in number 10 and around in government. Now, I think people are, are actually really angry about it. You know, um, I think back to last Christmas and how you know we were told at the start, oh, you can have Christmas and then you can't uh, at the last minute, and how you know we had to cancel our Christmas plans. Um, you know, I mean, I've seen people really angry about this, and people who have really either said nothing or actually been supportive over the last um, last couple of years. People have been really angry, and you know, I think it's. I, I reckon this could be the turning point actually. So I would say, do not do not lose heart um, because. I think that there are, you know, God is working and uh, I think that this could be a turning point. So let's hope and pray that is the case and we'll come on to that. Um, uh, I've got a a thought from the Bible at the end, which I hope is an encouraging one, um, something that struck me uh, yesterday. Um, just a few things to to start with. Um, I, I like just to start with a few links, um, uh, just in case you missed it. These are things which I found helpful. So um, the first thing is um, there was an article, Frontiers in Medicine, uh, a better way forward without lockdowns, looking at the evidence and looking at... You know, I mean, I just found it helpful because I know it's all... I know those of us who are kind of against the lockdowns probably read a lot of this kind of stuff and... Um, and uh, you know all of this is is information which will be um, available elsewhere as well. But I honestly thought that this was a really helpful article. Actually, just pulling pulling the different things together. It's not too long, and um, I think it might be worth sharing if you have friends who are kind of maybe you know coming round to to things. You know, just to, to share and say you know this is actually a summary of what some scientists uh, think. Um, so I'll put the link to all of these things by the way down in the description below. Um, the second thing to mention is Doug Wilson's article called The Mandatorians. Um, I think Doug Wilson, I mean, I, I've, I think I said this the other week, but I, I've always appreciated his writing. But the last, the last, you know, since COVID, I think he's just knocked it out of the park. Um, you know, he's been he's been amazing. And um, this article, The Mandatorians, was about um, mandatory vaccination and about an article in a in a Christian, supposedly Christian magazine, saying why aren't Christians getting vaccinated? And um, 
I really enjoyed that uh, that article. I actually watched it. He does a thing on it's on YouTube as well, uh, as well as on his website in written form. So you can either watch it or um, listen to it or read it. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the things I really appreciated about that was, you know, that the pe- sometimes people say to me, and maybe they said this to you as well, well, how do you know, you know, you're not a scientist? And what Doug Wilson says is, um, well, I may not be a scientist, you know, I'm not an expert in that, but I know which scientists are being censored. You know, I know which side is not being given airtime. And that's the thing, you know, when you see what's happening with the Great Barrington Declaration, there's not being a free um, a free debate about these kind of things, that the scientists you question are just not being heard. And speaking of which, the final thing I wanted to mention was the, uh, the Dark Horse podcast uh, with um, Brett Weinstein, um, and that's with um, Peter McCullough. Who um, I think I've mentioned again before as a you know an excellent is one of the, the world's top sort of cardiologists and um, he has um, been doing a lot of good work um, kind of exposing the vaccine and particularly the problems with vaccine deaths and with things like myocarditis in um, in younger people and I mean it's it's frightening really you think that there could be forty to fifty thousand vaccine deaths and thousands of younger people who will have heart problems um, with my you know having had myocarditis uh, and so on in the in the future you know that this is creating the vaccine is creating an enormous health crisis and uh, I thought that that podcast um, was really good so again I'll put the links to all of those three things down below and um, I hope that that's that's helpful to you and you know just things do share if there have been any uh, helpful things that you've read or shared in the comments below as well and um, you know hopefully we can you know encourage one another uh, with these things so let's move on now to the main subject of the uh, the podcast today which is about secularism Okay, so the question that I want to ask today is, did secularism create the COVID cult? Um, I was watching a Dennis Prager video, um, one of his fireside chats a few weeks ago, and he mentioned that secular societies tend to be less free. And I think that he's right about that. But why is that? And I thought what we do today is explore the links between secularism, at what's going on, the, the ideological underpinnings of secularism, and, and how that's kind of fed into COVID, and, and what we can do about it, and how, how we can respond to that from, from the Bible. Um, so firstly then, let's just have a, a look at the history of the word secular, because I think this is really interesting. Um, this is from the Oxford Classical Dictionary. So let me just read out this paragraph. In Roman conceptions of time, the seculum became the longest fixed interval, calculated as a period of 100 or 110 years, as opposed to e.g. a lustrum of only five years, uh, such a census. The term originally indicated a generation or lifetime, but greater significance developed through its association with the ludi seculares, the secular games which were performed to celebrate the advent of a new seculum in Rome. Through the secular games, the emperor advertised his role in establishing his dynasty and ushering in an age of peace. 
Emperors who wished to capitalise on this expression of authority made official references to the seculum in coinage and inscriptions if they were unable to hold the games during their reigns, thus creating a close link between the seculum, imperial families and political control. In late antiquity, the Christianization of the empire led to other usages. Because of its association with political power, the seculum came to signify the present age of the world, in contrast with an eternal, heavenly realm. It could also be applied to a new Christian era. Now that's taken from the Oxford Classical Dictionary uh, entry on secular and seculum. Um, I find this fascinating and I just thought it was interesting to flag this up at the start that it actually came, the word secular was first used in the context of imperial power. And, uh, and it was only then, uh, where, you know, with the Christianization of the age, that it came to, to kind of be used to refer to this present age in contrast with the eternal heavenly realm. I think this is really significant and it's something that we'll come back to a bit later on. So what about secularism today? Well, let me read you what the uh, National Secular Society have to say. The principles of secularism which protect and underpin many of the freedoms we enjoy are 1. Separation of religious institutions from state institutions and a public sphere where religion may participate but not dominate. 2. Freedom to practice one's faith or belief without harming others or to change it or not have one according to one's own conscience. And 3. Equality so that our religious beliefs or lack of them doesn't put any of us at an advantage or a disadvantage. Now, I don't know uh, what you think about that. I mean, I, I think in, in many ways that sounds quite reasonable. But then if you really start looking into it, you think, well, hold on a second. You know, what, what, what kind of consequences does this have? So, for example, if you think about the logic of secularism, then... What they are effectively saying is that religion is a private and individual affair which should only ever be a personal choice. You know, that yes, relig religion might affect your beliefs, but it's only a private thing. It can't be a public thing. It can't be a, a, a state or a national thing. It's only, you know, so they're, they're reg you know, relegating religion to a, a personal private decision. So they're saying religion, therefore, does not make a difference to society, that it's almost entirely irrelevant to the political process and to the life of the country as a whole. You know, the individuals might be religious and they might be in positions of authority perhaps, but the, to, you know, in terms of the national life of a country, it doesn't really make any difference whether it's, you know, whether people are Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever, you know, it's, it's irrelevant. And therefore, to separate out politics and the country from religion is not only possible, but it's desirable. So this is what they are saying. It's the, the separation of church and state. You know, it's saying that the state should be this kind of secular institution which does not prioritise any one religion, um, but it should be it should be completely uninfluenced, you know, um, in, a, in, a, in an official way by any kind of religious beliefs. So how does the belief that church and state should be separated really kind of work its way out in society? Well, I've got a couple of ways here where I think that it's made, you could pick many, I think, but I'll just pick a couple. The first thing is in education. Now, I think this is critical because 
When I was at school, the religious education that we had was absolutely woeful. And certainly there was no um, real expectation, and particularly as I went through school, that our education would be Christian in any way, or would would sort of prioritise Christianity. And I don't think I really learnt... I mean, if I hadn't been raised in a in a Christian home, um, if I hadn't had um, you know the Bible at home and, and what have you, I'd, I'd know next to nothing about Christianity. And I've noticed this with a lot of my uh, contemporaries, those who weren't raised in in church. I think a lot of people have just got no idea what Christianity even is. And more than that, I think a lot of a lot of people my age and younger um, and perhaps older older people too, you know, that that they just have got this idea that religion is just completely irrelevant. So it's not like, you know, that the that um the separation of church and state means that people are free to choose choose their own religion. It's even more like that people think that religion is just irrelevant to life in general. You know, if it's not important enough to be included in in schools or in government or anything, then why should you bother? You know, it doesn't make a difference to our lives in any meaningful way. It's just, you know, some people might like it in the way that some people like doing judo or the way that some people like doing sports or, you know, whatever it is. It's a personal choice and most people choose not to take it. And I think that that comes or that starts with education. And I've also put down here lawmaking because, um, you know, again, the, the, the Bible used to be and that, you know, the Ten Commandments used to be that the the, um, the centerpiece, if you like, of our lawmaking process, you know, seeking God's moral laws. But that is no longer the case. And I think a watershed moment was when the government introduced same-sex marriage. I've mentioned that before. Um, but I think that was a, a watershed moment where uh, what was, you know, the law of the land um, kind of became, um, you know, divorced from from the law of God um, in, a, in a very obvious way. Um, and certainly from um, divorced from from nature. Um, and and um, anyway, we, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, um, the laws of the country. And if the laws of the country are not based on any religion, but just based on a purely secular sense, then again, you know, you can forgive people for thinking that religion is completely irrelevant because it doesn't seem to make any difference to the life of the country at all. Um, so those are just two ways. I'm sure you could pick many others. So what's the effect of secularism? What effect does secularism have on society? I think that you can see this in people's beliefs, particularly millennials and and younger, who just have this sort of instinctive belief that the government should solve every problem in society. Um, And, you know, I'm often struck, actually, since having since having my eyes open to all of this kind of stuff, you know, I think when I was, um, you know, a couple of years ago and before, I just, you know, I would say, oh, yes, you know, the government needs to do something about that. The government needs to do something about this. Um, and it's just instinctive. You know, the government should solve every problem. But that's a very secular idea, you know, that the, the government should be able to solve every problem in this world. And the second thing, which the second effect that this has is actually 
um, from the government's perspective saying that, well, there are no absolute rights and wrongs. You know, that it doesn't matter, as they say, um, you know, if you have to break a few eggs to make an omelette. But, you know, if you have to create a perfect world by um, authoritarian or totalitarian means, by imposing kind of maximal control on people's lives in order to achieve a good purpose, then it doesn't matter because there's no one watching. Um, and, and it's for a good reason, isn't it? You know, you want to create a good world. So it doesn't matter if you lock people in their houses for months on end um, and prevent them seeing the nearest and dearest and have to say goodbye to loved ones on an iPad or, or all that sort of thing. You know, stop children from going to school, destroy mental health. You know, oh, it's all for a good reason. You know, we want to stop people dying. The ends justify the means. And that's another thing. Uh, I think idea behind secularism because you know there's no there's no absolute sense of morality there's no absolute sense of right and wrong um, and over the last 50 years I think we've seen this uh, working out um, so almost every problem in society has become a political problem for the government to solve like I said a lot of young people um, and, and actually I think probably just a lot of British people you know when there's a problem they say ah the government should do something about that. That's just an automatic instinctive reaction. So inequality, for example, you know, inequality historically, inequality has just been one of those things that you just have to live with in, in society. And there's not really a huge amount that you can do with it. But now the government are, you know, bringing in this kind of or have brought in this inequalities legislation, trying to solve every problem in, in, in terms of legislation. Ultimately, I think you can see this um, when it comes to our health and even death. This is something which needs to be solved in a medical uh, way and with the NHS. And I think that's led to this kind of almost cult-like adoration of the NHS. You know, they're there to make us healthy. They're there to solve our medical problems. They're there even to protect us from death. And... Um, it's, it's led to a very unhealthy attitude towards the NHS that, as Nigel Lawson once observed, the NHS is the closest thing the English have to a religion, which I think is true, actually, um, now. And, um, I mean, it was true when he said it. It's even more the case now. And, you know, those who come here from other countries uh, notice that, you know, you, you dare not criticise our NHS, even if the, the other countries have better outcomes. I was looking at an article, actually, in fact, I could have put that at the start, um, about the NHS, saying that, you know, for, for any number of diseases like various kinds of cancer, there are better outcomes in many other European countries than there are in this country. You have a better chance of surviving. Um, and, you know, the, the NHS, I think, is just not, not fit for purpose anymore. Um, but yet people still, you know, you're not allowed to criticise, you know, you're not allowed to, to say, well, could we reform the NHS? You know, we need root and branch reform, really, and, and so on. No, oh, no, no, you just got to give it more money. Um, that's the answer, um, which has led to us spending more money on healthcare, I think, anywhere apart from America. So, you know, we spend more and yet we have worse outcomes. So what about COVID? Well, this is what I put into the COVID cult. Um, you know, it's really struck me over the last few days that what's happening is just become, it's become like a cult. You know, it's just become so divorced from any semblance of reason or rationality 
like vaccine passports, for example, they do nothing uh, to stop the spread. Um, you know, if you look at other countries which have introduced them, they're doing a lot worse uh, than the UK. Uh, if you look at, you know, just the way that we're talking about boosters and vaccinations as the answer, um, I think Boris Johnson in the press conference yesterday, I think in a, in a question afterwards, mentioned maybe about, you know, having this conversation about uh, vaccination, about compulsory vaccination or something like that. You know, it's it's not entirely clear what he meant, but you know, it's just this is all becoming so divorced from reason and from the actual truth. You know, it's it's proceeding in a very cult-like way. And and if you put it together, I mean, um, there's more that you could put in this, but you know, if you put the narrative together, it just sounds like this kind of religious cult, doesn't it? You know, there's a there's a terrible enemy, COVID, that will take us to hell. That's death. In order to defeat it, we need to listen to wisdom that is, the science, mediated to us by the priests, uh, that is, the experts. We need a saviour, the vaccine, and everyone must take that saviour, man, woman, uh, young and old, and child alike. And heretics, that is, people who question, or anti-vaxxers, need to be demonised and excommunicated. It, it behaves so much like a cult, it really does. And I think it struck me this week, like like never before, that, that that's what's happening and that many of our media and uh, politicians are kind of bought into, bought into the cult. So the question that you may have then is, if COVID is become this kind of cult, why did it seem to, to flourish in a secular society, which is kind of separated out religion from the state you know why is it that at a time when we're never in a sense less you know um, organized religion is probably in this country certainly in christianity there are fewer people going to church now than have done in many years possibly ever so how did this kind of um, cult become become dominant in a in a secular society i think the answer is in um uh well, this is what Tim Keller says, Timothy Keller said in his book, Counterfeit Gods. Everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. Everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. Now, I think this is absolutely true. This is, this is from the Bible. That we are created as religious beings. And that if you deny the religious aspect of of ourselves you know this this idea that we need to seek transcendence that we we all have intuitively this sense of of the way that the world should be and the way that we need a savior and and so on you know if you deny that then what happens is is not that people start acting kind of rationally and without without you know without just without god but that actually people feel the need to create a substitute religion and I think that's exactly what's happened, that as secularism has kind of, um, you know, flushed away, if you like, the, the kind of remaining Christianity in our culture, in its place has come this COVID cult. And, you know, it's sort of come on the back of other things, too. I mean, it hasn't come out of nowhere. You could see if you go back 10 years or more, you could still see the, the beginnings of it coming, I think. Uh, and we've looked at, at some of those things in the podcast before. But I think this is what's happened. The secularism 
has left a void when it has to be filled. You know, we as human beings can't cope without with nothing, with worshipping nothing. We need something. We need a bigger story. And COVID has, has become it. And it's taken the place that, that um, Christianity used to have. Now, something that the Bible says about human nature is that we are inescapably religious. And this is really important that, um, you know, we need to realise that as human beings that we can't get away from it. You know, that if you take if you take God away out of the picture, if you take the transcendent out of the picture, then we as human beings, we can't cope. We will need to put something there. We'll need to invent something to put there. And, and whatever we invent to put there will actually, you know, be far, far worse than, you know, if, if God is there. If God is there, it's good. But if we put something else there, it will be it will be terrible. This is let me read a quote here from um, the Bible. This is from the book of Romans, chapter one, verses 18 to 23. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles." So there's just three things which I was going to um, to, to draw out of this. Um, the first thing is it talks about suppressing the truth. So it's saying that, you know, all of us as human beings, we know what the truth is. And yet because we don't want God to be in charge, we suppress that truth. That's what Paul is saying. So as anyone with a, you know, if you've seen people, you've had friends maybe, and you, you've seen this working in people's lives, you know, if you know something to be true, but you suppress that truth, then that does not lead to a healthy life, does it? It leads to problems. And that is, I think that's exactly what we see. That If we know God is there, we know God exists, but we suppress that truth, then it, it just, that truth kind of pops out in other in other ways and in ways which are unhealthy you know if we don't acknowledge god and give glory to him then it, it leads to this this kind of cult-like um, behavior and it says that people are uh, without excuse you know it's saying that we we know god exists and you just have to look around at the universe uh, to know that that is the case that everyone is created with this is um uh, the the um, Reformation theologian John Calvin called the sensus divinitatis, you know, the idea that we've all got the spark of the divine. You know, we're all made in the image of God. We all know that God is there. And when we look at the universe, we look at other people, we look at ourselves, we can see God's um, God's fingerprints in us. We know he made us. We know we should have that relationship with him. And yet, um, so we're without excuse. And yet we suppress that knowledge. And it says, although we claim no, we claim to be wise, we became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. And um, that's what we do as human beings. You know, we exchange. So we take God down in our in our lives 
take him down, but then because there's a void there, we have to put something else there. So in the case of um, of God, you know, what's happening, what's happened over the last couple of years, you know, we've taken God down, but because we don't have sin, we don't have redemption, we don't have a saviour anymore, we have to make up those things. You know, we have to make up this kind of cult in order to, to fit there. And, and that's exactly what Roman says, you know, we've exchanged. And what we've exchanged God for is far, far, it, it is terrible. You know, it, it is, um, it's a terrible master that we have exchanged. And, um, you know, God is a good and kind master. And, you know, um, he, he is good and faithful. And, you know, if we submit to him, our lives will be right. But submitting to the COVID cult, you know, it... it prevents us from seeing our family and friends you know it um locks us out it 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 gives us mental health problems um it's you know it's actually a terrible terrible master and um and that's the the real um tragedy of it all that you know when we substitute god for something which is not god then that that terrible idol becomes you know something which um uh yeah which kills us in the end I was just reading this morning, actually, from a, a bit of Psalm 135. I didn't put this, or if you're watching, I didn't put this on the slide, but Psalm 135, verses uh, 15 to 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is their breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. You know, that's the thing. When we trust in what the Bible calls an idol, and an idol is not, you know, something which, you know, necessarily has a, it's like a statue with a mouth and eyes and so on. But, you know, a statue is life, is um, an idol is lifeless. It's a God substitute. And, you know, when we trust in God substitutes, that's what the Bible says will become lifeless, like the idol. And I think that is what, what's happening, actually. Ironically, you know, we're trusting in an idol to give life, and yet it's taking our life away. So how can we be free? Well, this is what Jesus said. Uh, he was asked a question about the most important uh, commandments, and he replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39. And this is the path to freedom. Uh, what I find interesting, though, is people often focus on that second bit. You know, love your neighbour as yourself. I think if, if people were asked to sum up, you know, how can we live rightly... Um, I think people would often give that answer, wouldn't they? You know, love your neighbour as yourself. That seems quite intuitively a good thing to do. But um, actually, we can't have that unless we love the Lord God first. And I think this is what this is just what I wanted to say, that we tr- if we try to have the second one without the first one, we won't succeed. You know, we need to have the first one to love the Lord God first and then the second one will come you know we can't have the benefits of loving each other without loving god first and that's what we need to do as a society if we need to, if you want to be free then we need to be free to love god first and then uh, and then love each other
So let's summarise then. Um, I just wanted to finish by summarising um, Christianity and COVID. Um, you know, thinking about how if we were a, a truly Christian people, a Christian nation, as it were, then things would have been very different over the last um, last couple of years. So what would that look like? Um, trusting in God to keep us safe. So, you know, we don't have to worry, overly worry about, you know, all of these kind of measures to keep us safe, but we can trust God. So life can be lived rightly and freely. And we've thought about that on the podcast before about safety. It means that we don't have to fear death, that death is not the death is an enemy, but it's not something to be feared because we know that there is something even more glorious beyond death. There is an eternal life beyond death. So we don't have to live our lives in the fear of death. You know, we can be free to live life, not just avoiding death, but actually living. Um, we know that the government has limited authority. You know, God has put the, the government on earth for a reason and it's not to solve every problem, but he has limited their authority. So, you know, we can uh, we can recognise that and uh, to realise that not everything will be sorted out in this secular life. You know, that not every problem in this lifetime has to be solved. It doesn't have to have a solution. And all of those things are Christian ideas. And if we as a people, if the government had been operating on Christian uh, principles, then it would have made a huge difference. I think the, the worrying question I have is that why has the church not recognised this more? And why has the church kind of bought into the COVID cult? Um, I think there's been a real lack of discernment. I, I don't think it's been a uh, an intentional thing, um, but it is a worrying uh, it is a worrying thing. But I believe that if we want to be free of the COVID cult, then what we need to get back to is a kind of genuine uh, Christianity where we can believe and and, and trust in God rather than the cult. So let's finish then with looking at a thought from the Bible. Um, this is a thought which I, um, you know, last week we were looking at Exodus and how God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of this kind of totalitarian regime. And um, it, I was, uh, I just this verse sort of came to me yesterday, which is, which occurs as the people are heading out of Egypt, you know, and they get to the, they get to the river, they get to the, the Red Sea and um, they can't cross and the Egyptians are bearing down on them. The army is bearing down on them and they they cry out to Moses and they say, did you just lead us out of Egypt because there were you know no graves in Egypt? You know, um, you just brought us out into the desert to die. It would have been, let's say, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Um, that's what they're, they're saying to Moses. You know, we, we it would just be better for us to die. Um, and Moses, so this is Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring upon you today or will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Those those verses came to me yesterday and it just made me think, actually, as as you know, last week we were thinking about the deliverance from uh, from Egypt. What did the Israelites actually do? in that 
you know, what they did is they they uh, cried out to God and he sent them Moses. But really, you know, the, the plagues, um, you know, the, the deliverance, it was all given by God, wasn't it? You know, they didn't have to fight. They just, you know, they just remained faithful to God. They had to paint the, the, the blood of the lamb over the, the doors. Now, I think this is a picture. It is a picture of salvation, ultimately, because, you know, this is saying that it's by God's grace that we are saved. It's not through our own efforts, but it is through the grace of God. Um, but I think there is also an application here through uh, for us today, because, you know, it's so easy. I think when we look round at all of the problems going on in the world, uh, and particularly, you know, we look at what's happening in the government, then you think, oh, you know, what what should we do? You know, we want to do we want to do things. We want to, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I was joking around with someone last week that, you know, we need to get our pitchforks and, uh, you know, flaming torches and march on Westminster and, and that sort of thing. And we want to do, don't we? You know, we want to we want to act. We want to do something. But actually, what what God says is the law, you know, the law will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, I don't think that means we shouldn't do anything, but just that ultimately the deliverance that we need comes from God and that we should seek it from him first and foremost. That we all have this instinct that we want to be doing something and it is good to, to act. But actually, you know, unless God is working and unless God is bringing about deliverance, then it's all pointless. It's all, it's all in vain that we need to be seeking him and we need to be seeking his will uh, first and foremost, and I, I honestly think that, you know, we are living in a time when God is doing something. You know, whatever our politicians may think they're doing, God is accomplishing something even bigger, and I think we will see God's hand at work in these coming months. Uh, and I think that if we stay faithful to Him, if we stay close to God, then He will lead us and show us. Uh, what he's doing and the way that he wants us to go and what uh, we should be doing. So that was my reflection today that, you know, the people, they didn't do anything um, really. They just obeyed God, but he was the one who really fought for them. And I think that's an encouraging thing for us to think, you know, when we maybe feel weak and powerless uh, with what's happening in the world, then actually God is the one who fights for us. So let's uh, let's close with a prayer and um, ask God to help us to, to trust in him. Heavenly Father, um, we know that in your word that the first greatest commandment is given us to, to, love, to love you with our heart, soul, mind and strength. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to be able to do that, to be able to put you first. And we pray that as a society, you would help us to put you first and to seek your laws and to seek you in the way that we bring up our children and young people and um, put you first in everything. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would bring about a great change, um, not through our own efforts, Lord, but that you would fight for us. Please help us to trust you and help us to um, see your hand at work in the things that are going on, knowing that you are bringing about um, something uh, in your purposes, Lord. So we pray that you would be working in us and uh, helping us this week in every one situation. I just pray for everyone uh, watching or listening to this podcast 
that you would bless each one of them in their own situations and their families, those they love. Keep them strong in faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining me today. Um, I Like um, I mentioned last week, if anyone would like um, to kind of get started on Christianity and kind of learning what the Christian faith is, then I have another channel called Understand the Bible, which has got courses and videos to kind of help teach the Christian faith, things about prayer, reading the Bible, um, you know, what Christianity is. You know, the Apostles' Creed, I've just finished a series on that. So you can go and have a look at that. I'll put the link down below and you can have a look at that if you would like. If you'd like to support me financially, you can do that through Buy Me A Coffee. Um, there is a, um, I'm sort of freelance, um, but the link is, is down below. I do appreciate that. Thanks so much to everyone who's been you know, really, really generous. I really do appreciate that. And um, uh, if, you know, don't forget, you can donate the likes and the subscribes and everything on, on YouTube as well, as that does make a difference as well. So thanks so much. And if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future future session, then let me know. And um, you're welcome to engage in the comments below. I appreciate hearing your thoughts as well. So I'll see you again soon, everyone. And uh, yeah, God bless and uh, take care.